Hi, everybody. Welcome to the third episode of the Mercy Roll podcast. Uh, we are very excited to announce that we are now on social media on Instagram as the Mercy Roll podcast and on Twitter as the Mercy Roll pod. Mm. Now that we've gotten that out of the way, we're ready to get started with a brand new segment called uh, How Bad Did You Do? Yeah, so this is a brand new segment idea that we came up with. And essentially, uh, we gave scores of our highlighted games last week. And we thought that it'd be fun to do something with those scores. So what we eventually decided on was a point system that tallies up how well you guessed these the score lines from the past week. So essentially the rules are, if you get the exact score correct, you get three points. If you guess the right winner, you get one point. And if you predicted that someone won, but they actually lost, you lose a point. So overall, that that's how the system goes. And now we're going to go kind of summarizing how we did. So, uh, Ben, how'd it go? All right. Oh, well, it went pretty bad, uh, in all honesty. I finished with a grand total of one point uh, for the week. Uh, only got, got two out of the eight correct. Three of them were tied. I said would be ties, but weren't. And uh, two of them I said would be wins and were ties. And then just the Man City game absolutely, uh, I think, caught everybody off guard last week. But uh, not, not a strong start. Yeah, that, that's, that's not ideal uh, as a start. Um, I ended up getting a total of four points, which is pretty great. Um, I got four positive ones and that I got the correct winner, but not the correct score. And then I got one negative point, the city game. Like we, we all thought that was going to end up pretty different. And then uh, I had zero in which um, I got the correct one or was completely wrong. So overall, I think that's a positive start for me. And hopefully, you know, next week you can catch up a bit. <laughs> <laughs> well not hopefully for you well, definitely not hopefully, hopefully for, for me, me. But i'm trying to be nice <laughs> yeah. but yeah we'll we'll keep a we'll keep a running count of of our our point tallies going forward so uh so we'll see at the end of the season who's the real uh who, who can really get the uh the most predictions right yeah we should but we should uh now that we've uh we <laughs> <laughs> if you have any money then i'd be happy to then uh, now we're now that we're uh, we're past the scores from last week. Uh, let's let's take a look at back at some of the games from this past weekend, and we'll be starting off with uh, Man City two, Leicester City five at the Etihad Stadium. Uh, after City got the lead early, there was then four goals from City. Uh, from Leicester City, three of them from from Vardy, one from Madison, and then a a late consolation equalizer from Aki before Tillman's made it five. So, uh, what are your your thoughts on the Man City Leicester game this weekend? Quite a shocking result. Completely shocking, honestly. But one thing I will say is that Leicester deserved to win that game, plain and simple. Like I I don't think this this is a scoreline that doesn't reflect exactly what we were seeing in the game. Um, I don't think Leicester dominated in the sense of possession or anything like that because no one can do that against City but I think they they played their game plan very well and they really shocked this City side that you know this can't be acceptable for them yeah I I, I totally agree I, I definitely say that, that yeah it was it was a far more even game than the than the scoreline would dictate but that the Leicester definitely deserved the win uh, three of their goals were penalties but unfortunately like they were they were penalties all of them were penalties mm-hmm. pretty Without a question, penalties. So, so yeah, definitely would count those as, as mistakes for Manchester City, and and I think they probably could have avoided um, losing this game. But but I think it was going to be impossible for them to get anything better than than a tie against this Leicester side that that's come out of the gates hot and is now first in the Prem. 
Yeah, and I think they, they've looked like one of the top teams. I wouldn't say they look like the best team in the Premier League. I think that'd be a little, um, you know, go jumping my gun a bit. But I think they look great. I think their front line looks incredible. And I think that when you pair a front line that is confident that quick, you know, and know how to score with that City back line that just looked terrible, I think this is this is what you get. I, I think that, um, you know, when you put Vardy against anyone, you have to be sure that you can cover your back. You can, you have to be sure that there's a bit more dynamism between your your defense and, and your midfield. And I think uh, Leicester played it really well playing between the center backs and between the defenders and playing those through balls that really got them in trouble. And I think that's both a testament to how good Leicester have been and how bad City's back line has been. Yeah, I, I agree. They even, they even started Eric Garcia, who's mm-hmm. got one foot out the door already this past weekend. And, and you could really tell the that their their impending addition, which we'll we'll talk about a little later, uh, is surely needed. Um, yeah, I, I I think City looked they looked weak. They didn't look very decisive. Uh, both of their goals came from set pieces, mm-hmm. which also isn't something that you would expect from a free flowing City side. Yeah, they they just looked weaker. Uh, Leicester was able to to take in some pressure and then counter attack at the right times and with the kind of quality that they and speed that they have on the break. Um, and Jamie Vardy, who loves a goal against the Pep Guardiola <laughs> City team. Now, uh, only uh, three hat-tricks have ever been scored against uh, Pep's Manchester City, and two of them by Jamie Vardy. The other, Leo Messi. So, uh, good company there for yeah. for Jamie. But, um, yeah, no, great great game by him overall. And, um, yeah, even even chipped in with, with a goal outside of the penalties to complete his hat-trick. So... Yeah, top performance by by Vardy. And what a goal it was too! Like that was absolutely Oof, incredible. Second one, yeah. So I, yeah, and that's what I'm saying. That's why I think this Leicester team really combines well in terms of their team that know what they're playing at. They know how to get their their game plan going, and they also have a ton of quality. I think Vardy is, you know, top five, maybe even top four striker in the Premier League, and I think that he kind of gets overlooked sometimes. He scores goals. That's one thing he knows how to do. Yeah, I I totally agree. I'm definitely overlooked as as a striker. I won the Golden Boot last time mm-hmm. round. Uh, definitely deserved too. Um, yeah, no, I, I think they got quality all around the field. Sienchu looks like a proper Premier League center back. Uh, he was a seamless replacement for Maguire, who I, I think they just completely fleeced United on oh, yeah. on that one. But uh, but yeah, no, I think they just got a great solid spine with. Uh, Schmeichel in goal, Sayenchu down the middle, and then you got Tielemans as well, who's looking super solid, and then Vardy up front. And James Madison looks like he can pop up and, and create a lot of things too. And Castagne seems like a great signing as well from Atalanta. So it, it seems like a really complete team. Um, I think there's definitely going to be European aspirations again for for Leicester City. Yeah, I completely agree. I think the really the only thing that can limit them is a bit their squad depth. Because like we were saying, they, they do have a lot of quality at the, you know, at the starting lineup, but it kind of goes down very quickly after that. But you know, as long as they stay healthy and they stay in form, I think they can go very far. Yeah, so now moving on to Leicester's opponents um, last midweek uh, in the Carabao Cup. Uh, Arsenal played a 3-1 loss to Liverpool at Anfield. Uh, they got off to an early lead with Lacazette, but then it was all <laughs> Liverpool after that with uh, goals from Mane, Robertson, and Jota to get to give the uh, the Reds the win. Uh, what are your, your thoughts on, on Arsenal's performance against Liverpool? I think this was a game of mischances for Arsenal, both in kind of asserting how they want to play and in actual just scoring chances. <laughs> I think that 
Um, you know that against a Liverpool team like this, you're not going to be able to have the ball like you normally do against other teams. So I think that's when you have to tailor your plan a bit more. And I think at the beginning we started doing that. We are getting a lot of balls in behind the defense, which is something um, that's great against Liverpool because they play such a high back line. Uh, we were getting Lacazette in one-on-one against Allison a couple times. Uh, the wingers were, were getting free as well. But we just couldn't convert. Like, Arsenal had chances. Arsenal had 11 shots this game and converted one of them. And I think that's just something you can't do against such good teams. Yeah, honestly, I, I take a lot of positives out of this game. Um, I, I think Arteta put it well that uh, at, at the end in the post-match conference saying that this is the lever, the level that, that the team is aspiring to. I think Arsenal is clearly outclassed. Um, Liverpool had the better chances. They started off hot. They were hot in the middle and they finished hot as well. Um, I, I think they... They, they were clearly the, the better team. Um, but I, I think it goes to show the fact that the, we were able to defend solidly against one of these teams or in the past, um, the Liverpool would have been able to get three or four mm-hmm. in the first half with the chances that they had. And it was 2-1 for 88 minutes. And like you said, there's chances there at the end. Lacazette could have buried a couple. And, and then we're talking about a, a tie yeah. if we... Uh, if we shut up shop after that. So so really 3-1 I don't think is a fair result to the game, but I do think Liverpool deserved to win this one. Um, yeah, Arsenal's not at that level yet, but if, if you told me that we were going to lose um, in the third game of the season against Liverpool at Anfield, yeah, probably we're going to lose that one. So uh, I was optimistic in my prediction for a tie last week, <laughs> but uh, no, I, I think this is right about in line with, with the level that, that Arsenal and Liverpool are both in. And um yeah, but but Arsenal showed showed guts out there, and I think it's a good sign. It's a performance to build on. Yeah, exactly. I, I think my favorite part about this Arsenal performance is that our problems were on offense, not defense, and we have talent on offense. Exactly. So that can be fixed. So as if if we can be solid defensively against a team like Liverpool, that we're a lot better than we were last season. So I think that's that's very promising. But uh, one thing I do yeah. have to compare it to is the Liverpool backline worries me a lot. In the sense that they, they keep making these individual mistakes. They keep getting caught a little too high up the pitch against pacey attackers. And I think this is going to be Liverpool's biggest weakness this season. Yeah, I'd have to agree. And it's funny to think that um, but two seasons ago uh, that that was mm-hmm. their strength, right? So, um, yeah. But uh, but I, I think they'll be able to, to overcome it. I, I think they, they got to get them. Um, get their players uh, back in, into full fitness. I don't think Liverpool's at their peak performance yet at this stage in the season. Um, yeah, the, honestly, their their performances uh, compared to, to Man City's have, have really changed my my original predictions for for how this uh, league campaign was going to go right. in the Premier League. So uh, so now I, I think Liverpool in overall looked looked solid, but, but yeah, there's definitely opportunities to score against them. If so, I, I definitely don't think they'll come anywhere close to the 98 points they got last season. But uh, that's never to be expected. Yeah, anyway. I mean, hopefully that never happens again. You don't want to see the Premier League being dominated like that. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yeah. So next, moving on to La Liga, where we had a couple of big scoring games this weekend. I want to start off by talking about the Atletico Madrid-Granada 6-1 hammering. Yeah. At the Wanda. Oof, goals from Costa, Ankel Correa, Joao Felix, Marco Sirente, and a double from Luis Suarez uh, gave Atleti all three points and then a, a late consolation goal by Granada as well to, to lessen the score a bit there. Um, what a, what a, 
what a great performance by Atleti after not the best display in the first week of the season. Yeah, and I don't think this is any team they were up against. I mean, Granada don't have like the name that other teams in the Liga have, but they were fantastic last season. They overachieved a ton, and even this season they started off great, uh, winning two of their games. Mm-hmm. So I think this this is really a you know shows what Atleti can do and how much better they are this season than they were last season. I think that's also key. Um, they've they've reinforced really well, and they've put a lot more talent into a team that can execute a system really well. And I think that was the most impressive part. Yeah, and well, Luis Suarez, uh, he came on and immediately uh, seemed to. Well, it was it was a game that was already pretty out of hand, but um, he came in and I think he was really the reason why they were able to to turn it into an absolute rout compared to just a convincing victory. Uh, seemed to be involved everywhere he went. An absolute steal for the pennies that uh, that they gave Barca for for his rights. Um, yeah, the the fact that Barca was was willing to to pay to not have him in their team after a performance like that. Um, really, really surprising uh, that that he came out and and per- performed that well for Atleti in, in game one, just a couple of minutes in in the game. Yeah, he's right? he's showing he's hungry. You know, he's showing that he's still one of the greatest finishers in the world that he still knows how to pop in exactly where he needs to be. And I think he was also good at pressuring the the back line as well. So even even though he's on the wrong side of 30 now, but he's still pulling up there. He And I think he fits the Chodos scheme really well with the, the front two strikers pressuring a lot and, you know, being pretty um, dedicated on the defensive side. And I think that's great. I think he was off the bench because he just got there, but I think he's 100% their starting uh, striker for sure. Yeah, no, I agree, and it seems like they have some good interchangeable players in Joao Felix and Marcos Llorente, and then Suarez and Diego Costa too. So they each have, so they they have good replacements on either side. And I think that's gonna help keep them really consistent throughout the season because because there's quality throughout there. Also, the fact that they they missed a penalty mm-hmm. this game, yeah, <laughs> <This> <laughs> Early on, on top of the six goals that they scored. Yeah, it was just one nil when when Sal stepped up and. And the penalty got saved by by the Granada keeper. Um, yeah, no, extremely solid performance. Granada really didn't look like they were going to make anything out of this game from the beginning. And and yeah, no, even some of the goals were were pretty. Joao Felix, who who I think has has been greatly overhyped yeah. in in recent years. Um, I I think he had a great game as well. Popped up with an incredible goal there too and just seemed really involved throughout. I think it was a really solid performance from him. Hopefully, something he can build on from there uh, to actually start reaching the levels that people are, are talking <laughs> about and uh, being already. Yeah. Well, the, the price tag itself. Yeah. After playing half of a season too, but, uh, but no, I thought it was a great performance from him on, and yeah, they could really afford to, to take him out that early and, and bring on your Yeah. And w- one thing I really like about this Atleti side right now is that um, I think they're just as hungry and gritty as ever. And you showed against like another team that's also, hungry and gritty like there was a lot of fouls there's a lot of back and forth and pushing but now this Atleti team has gotten an injection of quality I think Yannick Ferreira Carrasco on the left has really opened up a lot um of what they can do playing on the left and I think that now that they have more reinforcements at striker with Suarez you can play Correa more at on the right he's got so much quality man I think he was incredible in this game he looked really dangerous on the dribble. He's got a lot of pace to like run by you. He, and he's looking to create a lot of chances for those two strikers in the box. And so I think um, just the, that kind of injection of quality that they didn't have before because they're having to play a lot of players in like not the correct positions, you know, playing Sol and Koki on the left and right sometimes and stuff like that to cover up. 
I think that that's not going to be as much of an issue going forward. So if you got a team that is super dedicated defensively and super solid defensively and now have quality going forward without having to sacrifice anything, that's dangerous. Yeah, I I think really just the the contrast of Morata to Suarez up top I yeah. think is really going to going to make a, a huge difference there for for a team that really underachieved last season. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think third place is exactly terrible or outside the the realm of expectation for him, but but by how much and how early they were out of the title race, um you really got to look at it as a down year for for this team. Yeah, I agree. And uh, and I think they've realized that and they've really targeted what they needed. And they've also kept a lot of really good pieces, which I think was very important, you know, that they didn't start disassembling that team because it, it, you know, they were rebuilding last season. And I think right now they're, you know, on the upward swing. So should be a very interesting team to watch. Mm-hmm. Totally agree. And now for the other marquee game of this La Liga match day, we had uh, Real Betis 2, Real Madrid 3. Uh, Madrid got off to an early lead with Valverde, but then goes from Mandi and Carvalho after gave Betis the lead. Then it was an Emerson-owned goal to tie it up, and then a Sergio Ramos-Penenka penalty to give Madrid the lead. Uh, yeah, what, what are your thoughts on this performance? Uh, how about we start off with Betis? I think Betis probably deserved a tie, to be completely honest. I think this game was messy. Um, I think Madrid were a little better, but I think Betis definitely shouldn't feel satisfied with how they performed. They played really well. I think they put a lot of pressure on Madrid, especially in the second half. Like, I think they, they were combining really well. I think when Tello came on, that also, that injection of pace also kind of forced Madrid's fullbacks to kind of pull back a bit, and that changed the game. I think Joaquin, I think he, he looks incredible playing in that uh, role behind the striker. And, you know, they're a team that knows how to play football, and they definitely played really good football against Madrid, but maybe they just don't have the quality and consistency that a team of the caliber of Madrid. So I think that's pretty much what the side of the game. Yeah, I, I think they had a, obviously a great spell in, in that quick fire double that they scored. Um, Sergio Canales looked very mm-hmm. inventive out there and he was, he was putting in some good balls. Um, overall, I, I do think Madrid did did come out deserving the um the win. I, I thought the Betis team kind of uh ceded control of the game after after they they took their lead. Um and they could have easily gone in front in this game too. Uh don't don't get me wrong, they they had some opportunities, but I think I think overall they they really lacked, particularly at the end. I don't think they they caused as much trouble for Courtois as I think they would have ideally liked being in a situation where they needed to get another goal. The red card obviously doesn't yeah. help. Uh, particularly after, particularly when it's two two, and then you go down, uh, pretty shortly after. But yeah, I, I think, I think the Betis performance they they should definitely be proud of of putting up a good fight against a good team. But uh, definitely, definitely lacking in a couple of departments for me. Except Joel Robles might have conceded three goals. I thought he had a really good game yeah. uh, this weekend. Yeah, no, and that's why, like, this is a team that has quality all around the pitch. Like, this is a team that I think has honestly underachieved in recent in recent seasons because they have a lot of quality in, in players all around the the pitch. But I feel like they sometimes have a hard time hitting that extra gear with some of their players that will get you out of a situation. And that's exactly what Madrid had here. You know, they played well in, in spells. They, um, you know, kind of definitely were the better team, but... Um, in an even game, just quality came out. And I think that that was the difference between these two teams. 
Yeah, definitely. I, I think Benzema looked really sharp up front, uh, maybe just lacking that finishing touch still. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a couple of good opportunities, but uh, but he was creating well, um, got the assist for Valverde, which I thought was a great ball there too. Um, yeah, I think I'd, I'd be a little concerned Madrid Kroos came off uh, limping there um, halfway through the game with uh, what seemed to be a hamstring injury. So so we'll, we'll have to keep an eye out on that because I, I think he's a, as integral a a piece for for this side as as any but but they look solid i think their their goals weren't weren't totally down to defensive uh breakdowns i think overall the defense looked solid um i, I think it was um being caught off guard on two occasions one on a set piece and then one one right after after kickoff so so i think this team uh, is looking good I, I think the fact that they could grind out a result like this one on on a day where where older madrid teams uh would have maybe only been able to scrape out a tie I think, uh, I think was definitely good. Um, now I think one thing we definitely have to touch on were some of the decisions given during this game. What were, what was your, your opinion on the officiating? I don't think it was great. Um, I think, but I think it wasn't great in terms of like the consistency. I think that, and I think that's what marks the games a lot. Like for example, if on one side you're giving, you know, very fouls very strictly and you're being very like meticulous with how you are, um, officiating that, I think uh, you can't go and turn around and the other side just start letting play go through just because the game got intense again. And I think that was my, um, I think that was my problem with it. As for like the red card, I think that was fair. I think that was, you know, uh, the the right decision. But overall, I think the refs definitely agitated the match more than it should have been because of inconsistent refereeing. Yeah, I, I'd agree, but but I definitely have to say that that the key decisions I think ultimately were all correct. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the penalty from the handball as well. Uh, while clearly Bartra had no intention yeah. of of handling the ball, the the rules of the game clearly his hand in, was in an unnatural position and it hit the ball clearly away from 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 Borja's feet so so yeah that the red card I think was also fairly clear too. But but I agree. I think it was the other decisions around yeah, those goals. calls mm-hmm. that kind of made it even more tense uh when it did come time to make those decisions and then ultimately they got them right yeah. but i think the shaky officiating beforehand kind of made it made it l- yeah a little a little more uh infuriating i'm sure for the betis players but a lot of really close calls so many close offsides uh the madrid players are really hugging that uh that back line for sure yeah and the one thing I have to say about those kind of decisions, it's they, they really do seem like, especially when the VAR gets involved, it's either it is or isn't, you know? So, and I, on the pitch, I can understand how that's so frustrating because, like, when you see the, the review or something like that, it's so close. You're like, oh, how could have anyone caught that? But in the end, like, if you're offside, you're offside. And if you're not, you're not offside. Like, it's a clear yes or no, and there's really no room to deliberate. So that's why I think Rev should be better about, like, kind of transmitting that feeling to the players and be like, hey, like, let's not argue. It's not up to discussion. Like, it's it's either yes or no. And But I think it's just as people and players get more used to the VAR and how they make the decisions and stuff like that, I think that's going to become more understanding. Yeah, yeah, I, I totally agree. Uh, yeah, I hope, I hope we can ask for his consistency mm-hmm. ultimately. And, and I think that's the direction it's going. But uh, yeah, there's definitely going to be be more hard games to watch before uh before they're able to to perfect this one 
And now moving on to our last game that we're taking a look at from this past match day. It is Roma 2, Juventus 2. We had two goals from Veritu, one from the spot first to give Roma the lead. Then Ronaldo tied it up from the spot as well after. Veritu then came back and scored a, a nice finish from outside the box. And then Ronaldo came up with a header to tie it up as well in the second half. So what are your thoughts on this Juve side that didn't put up a, a very convincing display in the uh, Stadio Olimpico? No, I, and I think it's mostly due... They, they came out with a very weird midfield in my in my opinion. Um... With with like a lot of new faces there, um, with uh, McKinney and Rabio making like the middle, and then you also had Ramsey there on the left, and I think against a Roma team that is very solid in midfield, and it especially was playing you know three at the back, playing with um, wing backs who could pressure the, the midfield a lot more. I think that put Juve in a tough spot because not because they didn't have the exact same quality, but because they made key substitutions in the wrong spots. So I, I don't think this is a representation of the best Juve team or Juve's like ideal starting lineup against a team like this. So it's kind of hard to, to judge it going forward. Yeah, that that's fair. Um, yeah, you, you, you would expect a, a more conventional Juve lineup for, for a fixture mm-hmm. as important as this one, especially so early in the season. But uh, yeah, I think they really were able to grind out this result. Um, I don't think it's a bad result against a, a Roma team that's that's looked pretty convincing, uh, starting off the season. But but yeah, you know, um, I think they're they're looking very reliant on Ronaldo so far, and and even though he's he's off to a far hotter start than he was um <laughs> last at season, the beginning yeah. of last season. <laughs> That um that yeah I'm I'm not sure if, if he's gonna be able to to keep them up so I'm sure uh, getting Dybala back into that starting lineup is gonna gonna help them out a a bunch for sure but yeah I thought the Roman team um they just looked a lot more dangerous on the break and that's ultimately where where they caught Juve where they caught Juve yeah no I I completely agree on the break and I I think they also set up the break really well in the fact that it was always starting from the center out to the wings to then go back in the center. So I think that that's just really good game planning, and that's because they have... I think Veritude was incredible this game, and I think when you have someone like yeah. that who can distribute the ball so well and who is so good at mounting these counterattacks with the way Roma has played you know, for the better part of the last decade, they're a counterattacking team, and now they have someone who can distribute really well and who can also join in these attacks. So I think that's a really, really good sign for them. Yeah, I agree, and the fact that he can that he can produce the finish mm-hmm. as well. Um, he was always he always seemed to be looking at Mkhitaryan, and they seemed to make a really good connection. Um, this past game, even connecting for for Veritut's uh, second goal of the afternoon. But uh, but yeah, I think the the Roma side. There's a lot of uh, optimism. I think that you can put around this team. I I think it looks convincingly like a Champions League team, which which it definitely didn't look no. like last season. So um, I I think they're they're ready to to make some strides, but but I agree with you that that this is definitely not not the best Juve team to judge to see how how the rest of the season is going to go forward for them. Yeah, exactly. I think it's it's really good signs for for Roma for Juve. You know, you can you put out a team that wasn't full strength and you still got a result, so that's good for them. So I think each team can go home happy knowing that they they did as much as they could with what they got. So. Yeah, partic- particularly away from home and so early in the season for Juve that, that just started uh, pretty recently as well. But great, now that we've uh, we've taken a look at the weekly rewind, uh, it's time to jump into our five-side picks 
for the week. Uh, Iggy, you have the first pick for this time around, but first we would like to say that on our brand new social media, we will be posting the teams and, and we'd like to get uh, some of our listeners to vote to see who picked the best team and um, ideally give me bragging rights over Iggy for the next week. So uh, <laughs> again, our Instagram is the Mercy Rule Podcast and our Twitter is the Mercy Rule Pod. So Iggy, you're now on the clock. Yeah, and actually, I'm, I'm with my first pick, I'm pretty sure who I want, and this has been, I think, the best player of the weekend, and I think that's Jamie Vardy. Um, three goals, looked incredible, and people I'd say, oh, he scored a hat-trick, but it was with two penalties. He created both those penalties. He was a nuisance the entire time. City just couldn't deal with him. Um, and I think he's a fantastic player. He's off to another fantastic start in the Premier League. People are saying, oh, he's on, you know, he's getting older. Um, he's going to slow down because he relies on pace so much. I still haven't seen it. And so, fantastic player and great first pick for me, I think. Yeah, no, I have to agree. Uh, definitely one of the stars of the weekend. And, and exactly like you said, the, the two penalties, I think, is definitely counteracted by the fact that he made both of those, right. and I think they were going to be a good opportunities. And honestly, the second goal, I, you can count that one for two for me <laughs> if you want to. Incredible finish. Uh, I think that's a great pick. All right, for me, now I'm not sure if uh, this might be a little early, but I do want to solidify my defense early, and I think this is just a great player to add into any team. I thought that Sergio Ramos was worthy of a spot. Mm-hmm in my in my team for the week um as as i mentioned earlier when talking about the the madrid game um i think that the back line other than than the two lapses um looked very convincing for me for real um i definitely also need need to point out that those were not on ramos side but also i think what i really got out of ramos which which you do in many games was the offensive production i thought yeah. was was great um other than that really easy miss which I, I think is a credit to him for being in that kind of position but you you would like to mm-hmm. see him score that one the the free kick right after the red card grazed the post he got the panenka goal off of the penalty and he even was the one that that passed the ball to, to benzema on that volley that, that hit the crossbar and seemed to go in but, but didn't, didn't go in <laughs> so so i thought ramos not only played a solid game defensively but but also offensively even if he didn't keep a clean sheet yeah, no, I think fan, I, I think he was fantastic. I think he's consistently fantastic and what a centre-back to have, especially on a five-a-side, a, a centre-back who can also go forward. Perfect. Yeah, and there's also a lot of attacking uh, quality this week. Yeah. A lot of goals. That is true. Like we've seen a lot in, in the quarantine times, a lot of goals. Yeah, Um. so with my second pick, I am going to solidify my the back of my team because I think that's good because we have so many options going forward. So I'm actually going to pick my goalkeeper and I'm going to go with a block. Like, he's one of the best goalies in the world, arguably the best goalie in the world for some. Um, he had an incredibly solid game. I'd have game. to agree with that. Yeah, he had an incredibly solid game. Like, uh, Granada aren't exactly the most, like, high-power offensive team in the world, but he had, they, they still made some chances. He had to come out of his goal to save a couple. And especially when your team's attacking so much, you know, scoring six goals, you, you can be left at the back alone quite a bit. So I think he handled it really well, and... You know, I think he's perfect for my team. Composed performance. I agree, and he only didn't get his his clean sheet because yeah. uh, because of a scrambled goal at, in garbage time. So after really good yeah, save, great keeper, and mm-hmm. now I know that I don't need to pick a keeper until the end. Yeah. <laughs> who was actually going to be my next pick, but uh, I'll take advantage and actually go and pick a guy that I'm not sure if he flew under. 
Actually, no, no, no. I'll, I'll pick something a little more short. Okay. I'm going with Luis Suarez. Okay, okay. I'm going to go with Luis Suarez. No, no. My, my other player, he'll still be there, I'm certain, <laughs> uh, later on. Later on. But, um, yeah, Luis Suarez, I, I thought he came in and just absolutely... Well, it's hard to say turn the game on its head when he was up when they were up three nil already. Mm-hmm. But he really came in and just immediately made a difference. I thought compared to to Costa's play, Suarez was way more involved. He was picking up the ball a lot deeper. All of his early touches were super positive. Right away came comes in an assist off of a great one time pass. You know some of those uh, tiki taka <laughs> Barca roots uh, flowing in, but you know an assist. He even had a, a penalty ruled out for mm-hmm. VAR. Um, you know, and then a great headed goal as, as well as a, a great, uh, rebound goal off of a, of a terrific volley from the Vitolo back heel assist. Uh, I, I thought Suarez was everywhere and he immediately, the second he came on was the best player on the field. And I have a feeling that that's going to be the case many times this season for Atleti. So I want that on my team for this week. Yeah. He's just dangerous no matter what he does. That one of the best strikers in La Liga still. And I, I have no idea how Barca didn't sign him. <laughs> But um, now with my pick, I do have I, I have a lot of decisions to make. But I think I'm gonna pick my one midfielder for the week, and I'm gonna go with Fede Valverde. I thought he was one of Madrid's best players throughout the game. He looks like he's picked up a lot of form compared to how he ended last season, which was in a bit of a slump. Mm-hmm. But he looks back to you know to his best with Madrid. He looks super dynamic, always looking to move the ball forward, powerful, quick. Um, just kind of dominating in that midfield area, which is something Madrid needs, especially if, if Kroos is going to be out and with Modric, you know, aging a bit. Uh, I think having someone so young p- putting in a dominating display is is perfect. And I think he can go forward, he can go back, he's dedicated, he pressures, he wins the ball, he looks to move forward. I think he's a complete, complete midfielder. And, you know, I think there's so much future ahead for him. Yeah, extremely versatile player. You see him, mm-hmm. see him pop in around the wings a lot. And when when Madrid changes their shape to to play defense, uh, I think that's a great pick, great performance uh, at the weekend for sure. Well, I will still keep my last guy in my back pocket because it still <laughs> hasn't come up, and I will go with my and continue with my aggressively attacking team with Ansu Fati, hmm. who shun for for Barca this weekend I thought he was definitely the best player on the field in their their 4-0 win against Villarreal uh popped up with the the first two goals and um won the penalty for for Messi's for Messi's goal too um I'm I'm definitely a person that that wants to temper expectations on Fati because we've seen what's happened with literally every other Barca player <laughs> since Messi but um but this this one Honestly, it might might just be the, the real deal. He's uh, definitely not going to be messy, but uh, I think if you can get hazard levels of production, which which I think is is around where he's going to be be going, he looks like a star, world class player. Eight, still seventeen? Yes, I think uh, still seventeen. Yeah, still seventeen. He's going to be seventeen yeah. forever. <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. yeah. No. No chance. I'll keep him in my team. Uh, I'll keep that as a stashed pick. Uh, no, for sure. I'm I'm really happy that he's Spanish. I will say. Um, <laughs> I think we haven't had a player of. That oh yeah, kind of what did, did the did the name not indicate that he was Spanish? Oh, super. That dude. That's a super <laughs> Spanish name. You don't even know. <laughs> um. Okay. And with my next pick, I think I'm gonna pick my defender, and it's gonna be an interesting one. I'm gonna go with Vestergaard from Southampton. Um. 
Not exactly. Interesting yeah. one. Interesting, exactly. <laughs> I, had to, I had to prep you for it. I mean, not the flashiest game, but he had a monumental game on defense. Like, the, the stats that this man put up, Southampton were just getting bombarded, and he wanted to keep his clean sheet. He ended up, <laughs> he, he won nine aerial duels, had 13 clearances, and blocked two shots. Like, that is a man on a mission to not let a goal in. So, you know, I think he had a really good performance, and he could, he could probably do something with my team with that kind of fire. Yeah, it'd be, be hard for him not to. Mm-hmm. That's a... Uh... Yeah, no, no, convincing, convincing performance from for him for sure, and I, I like, I like these, uh, the that underground right? type of pick, <laughs> yeah, brings it in. And on on that very subject, I would like to bring in my second striker to complete my outfield players, which is Nicholas Fulkrug okay. for Warder Bremen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, he scored a hat trick at the weekend, a very loud hat trick against Schalke as well. Um, Absolutely incredible performance for him in a in a game that Bremen really needed after a shaky start. Um, two great goals and and won his own penalty as well to to complete his hat trick. So so solid performance, a hat trick performance as well. You can definitely use use that. And and now I have two strong number nines and <laughs> and a winger. So not a lot of defensive cover for Sergio Ramos, who's also going to be bombarding exactly. forward. So I'm going to need a great performance from my keeper, and uh, you'll have to wait till till my next pick to find out who that is. It's going to be taking in all that damage. Yeah, it better be someone good, because goodness. Um, okay, and with my final pick, I'm going to pick my second striker, and I'm actually going to go with Diego Espas on this one, um, who is a player that I've I rave about all the time. I think he is incredible, um, both as a player and as a leader. He is the heart and soul of that Vigo side. A real talisman. Exactly. And he, he means everything to them. You know, he scored um, two goals in the weekend. He consistently made all the, the attack go through him. He passes the ball fantastically, connects with his players. He really forces that team that can sometimes stall a lot to play really good attacking football. You know, I think he's a fantastic player. I think it was harsh for him not to be able to show what he can do on a bigger team. But, you know, at the, that he's the man and he keeps proving it, you know, week after week. Yeah, and I agree. And there's definitely a merit to being the man in your mm-hmm. own team and, and finishing in mid-table and instead of being another cog in, in a better team that finishes slightly further above. But, yeah, clearly clearly the, the formula itself is working out for him, and when he's tried to mess with that formula, it hasn't. So. <laughs> yeah, he, kn- he knows what works now at this point in his career. Uh, yeah. So, naturally, he'll bust on your team, but... <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like to think my team's a mid-table team. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now to close out the draft, I will be going with my goalkeeper, and I will be picking Carl Darlow, the Newcastle okay. goalkeeper. So the game finished 1-1 Newcastle against Spurs. Um, and Newcastle ended up getting a, a late uh, penalty off of a handball in that game. But uh, there was only one reason that Newcastle had a chance to tie the game with the last kick of the ball. And it was Carl Darlow. 11 saves, 2 versus Harry Kane, where he practically just pulled the ball out from inside of the goal. <laughs> just an outstanding performance. Uh, Steve Bruce said after the match that, that honestly it's their keeper. That, that won them that point today, and, and I have to agree. Honestly, an incredible performance, and, and you could really tell, not only based on the reactions of the Spurs players every time he pulled off one of those 11 saves, but also from his own players, that he was really performing out of his out of his mind. Um, yeah, no, nobody nobody else I'd, I'd like uh, 
for this zero defense team than Carl Darla, who's uh, who's got eleven saves waiting for for your team. <laughs> no, I think that's a great pick, and I think you know when when a keeper has a performance like that, it really inspires uh, their own team, and it really makes the other team kind of put their head down a bit and say, "How are we going to score on this one?" So I think whenever someone has an inspirational performance like that, you got to put them on a the team. So. Yeah, hopefully I can also get the posts, the, the actual <laughs> goal that he had behind him, because I think it had magnets too, because Spurs whacked it against that as well. But uh, Carl Darla only conceded one goal, should have conceded 18. Perfect. Well, that's both our teams set. Um, and If you want to do a quick sure, recap yeah. of yours. Actually, yeah, yeah. Let's go through a recap. So uh, starting from the back, my team is Jano Black, then Vestergaard, Fede Valverde, uh, Jamie Vardy, and Diego Aspas. And for me, it is Carl Darlow, Sergio Ramos, Ansu Fati, Luis Suarez, and Niklas Fulkrug. Well, and those are the team guys. So um, if you're interested in voting who do you think had the better team and which team would win in a five-on-side game, just go to our social medias, leave a comment, and um, you know we'll tally up the votes and see who's the winner for this first matchup. Yep, and now before we head into the stories of the week, we'll take a quick break and jump right back in. Okay, guys, and we're back now, and we are going to start with our Stories of the Week segment. And I think the biggest story that I think is interesting this week has been kind of the two sides of the coin that we've seen in terms of transfers in Manchester between City and United. We've seen a lot of new faces, a lot, a lot of money uh, entering City, and then we haven't seen the same at United. So I kind of want to talk about that, um, kind of that comparison, that duality of what we're seeing and um, what your thoughts were on some of these signings. So I think the the biggest one for City recently has been Ruben Diaz from Benfica. So they sold them um, Otamendi and got, got back Diaz, who is a young and very promising center back. And in addition to that, you know, before that, they'd also signed uh, Nathan Aki and, and Ferran Torres. So those are some pretty big signings, and they've clearly targeted their, their defense as kind of where they want to to get better compared to last season. Whereas United have really only brought in uh, Donny van den Beek and uh, Dean Henderson back from, from loan. So you and they've also been linked to a like a lot of defenders, a lot of attackers, but they haven't really brought anyone in the door. So I kinda want to take your opinion on what what you've seen from signings from either side and, you know, what what do you think has been important, what do you think has been disappointing there? What I think really the um the the crucial part for for City was uh to strengthen that back line. It seems like that that's the constant theme theme for City every every summer. Though I think I saw a graphic that they had spent over four hundred million euros on on defenders now in the Pep Guardiola era, and that that's actually less than than Bayern spent on all the players in their roster cumulatively. Oh, wow right now so i really goes to show that there is a commitment there and they they haven't found the right pieces um in the past really since since companies form started to diminish their their defense has has pretty glaringly been the gap there but i think it was also successful that they were able to get a lot of their signings done early mm-hmm. i think it's it's really underrated particularly in in a season like this one where there wasn't a lot of preparation time anyway like getting your players through the door to sp- get a little bit of preseason and have a little bit of the understanding of the philosophy of the manager early, I think makes a big difference. And I think that's why we've seen Aki for both of the, of the games now for city. Cause he's had that time to be able to, 
to get settled, to get get acclimated to how the team wants to play and how Guardiola wants to play him. And and he's he's come up with a couple of good performances, even chipping in his first goal, a meaningless goal nonetheless. Mm-hmm. But uh, last um this past week against City. I think Ferran Torres also he's 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 definitely more of a prospect, but uh, but he's he's getting his chances as well. Pep Pep is looking to to put him into the team, so so I think that that's an extremely important component, and and I think for Manchester United it's it's been a lot of a lot of bark and no bite really mm-hmm. in the transfer market. Um, and funnily enough, Van Van den Beek is I I feel like the one that kind of least resonated. Like it that one it came up and then it got confirmed, and then you know he was confirmed as a Man U player I feel like a week after and then all of these other failures no Bale no Rayon no Sancho it seems like they're still in talks with Tejas no Dembele apparently Maitland Niles I, I saw some news now that that that's that's a deal being pushed forward but but it's still nothing and you know they're running out of time um and even then you're gonna bring these players in and we'll be able to play them maybe the week after you know they, it, it's not enough time to make an impact, really, and I think it's going to take these players a while to get to get running if United brings people in. And, and what I've seen in the past is when, when people bring in these high-value players that late in a window, typically it's not their season, the, mm-hmm. the season coming in after that. Yeah, no, that, that makes a lot of sense. And one of the comparisons that I want to take your opinion on a bit is... What do you think is happening with United in terms of not being able to attract these players? Because we've seen them, like you said, linked to a ton of big players in a lot of the same positions that City have been reinforcing. You know, uh, you know, in the back line, getting a promising young winger, stuff like that. And we're seeing City get it done, but Man U seemingly can't. Do you think that's more in terms of they don't have the financial muscle, you know, comparable to City? Or is it more of a reputation thing? What, what do you think is going on there? I, no, it's definitely not the financial muscle because mm-hmm. cause I think we, we all know that, that United could spend if, if they want to spend. The fact that they're that they're being linked with Sancho, a player that we all know is going to be over $100 million, I, I think clearly indicates that, that the resources they have. I think it's... it's uh, They're kind of like trying to play around, like just keep a couple pennies here and there, and they're really counting their pennies on a lot of these deals. And I think City, what, what they do is they... they go and they they submit offers they submit hard concrete offers that are really going to make a team think about it and and make that decision they offered for diaz 65 million plus otamendi take it or not you know what benfica wanted that deal and they got that deal it was that easy so so i, I think it's, it's really them wanting to be nitpicky about fees um, they, I think the expectations for salary are also so much at United that they also want to invent, save some of that transfer fee on the salary side. But, but yeah, I really think they're, they're kind of being a little cute with, with their offers. And, and ultimately that, that leaves a bad taste in a lot of teams mouths. Um, I wouldn't want to be Dortmund and be negotiating with them when you've made your stance clear on Sancho and they're coming in with 30 million, 40 million pounds short on your valuation of a player that you don't even need to sell so I, I think they're not even i think there's a lot of talk about these but i don't really think that they're actually getting in the conversation to secure these signings and i also think there's a big fear of of more transfer failures and ultimately yeah. their their last couple have been good bruno fernandez 
I he's been sensational for them and and Van de Beek I think is a is a solid player that can be in that midfield for a long time but but I think they're really trying to avoid the Lukaku's and the Sanchez and the the Lindelofs who's mm-hmm. still a starter in that team I guess but I I think they're they're trying to avoid that but they're letting that get in the way of reinforcing their team yeah no that makes complete sense and like what would be your take on thinking, okay, if we can't get Sancho because, you know, we're not willing to spend upwards of $120 million on him, yeah, splitting that money up and getting maybe two or three players that could sure up their defense? Because you look at the players that City signed and, you know, they total up to around $120 million and they seem to have had a better transfer window. So do you think United really should put all their eggs in a basket like Sancho, who is world-class already and is incredibly young? Or do you think it'd be better to reinforce a lot of that team? So ultimately, um, I, I think definitely they, they need to invest more in their defense right now. I think they have so much youth and potential up front already that bringing in a player like Sancho, who's a direct contemporary of Rashford, Martial, and Mason Greenwood, they're all in the same age bracket. They're all young players coming up at the same time. It seems like Solskjaer wants to promote the Martial, Rashford, Greenwood front three and kind of like have that be the direction this team is going and moving forward. I think spending $120 million on Sancho is going to definitely help your team. I think it's going to force one of those players out of your team, which I don't think is exactly the solution mm-hmm. that you're looking for. But unfortunately, when, when you really want to push on from the level of being a good team to being an excellent team, you do need star players. So I see the reasons why they want to have a marquee player who, if they see him becoming a Robin-esque type player in the future that can be your match winner and important games, then you know what? Maybe Sanchez is the direction to go, but but right now I don't think Sanchez that play the player United need yet. They have youth up front already, and I'd like to see how Greenwood pans out. I'd like to see how Martial does in the second season in form under Solskjaer. And uh, Lindelof is is unacceptably bad. Um, and by that I mean United should definitely start him every game, but <laughs> he's unacceptably poor. Yeah, really really not playing at the quality. And I think they have two great goalkeepers and they have to keep one of them on the bench for no reason. Yeah, no, I completely agree. I think that many have been trying to, you know, fish this this whale uh, when they have so many problems back on their boat that mm-hmm. they, they just have to pave that up. Because even if, let's say you can bring Sancho back in, you have this incredible player. Let's say he turns out to be world-class, like a top five player in the world, um, but you're still starting Lindelof. You know, you're still conceding so many goals. You you still, you know, you're still shaky at the back. Your your midfield rotation isn't set. Like, I think those are the problems that you have to pave over before you can convince someone like Sancho to take a chance on, on your team. So, I, I completely agree there. Yeah, like, you're you're not going to be bright and more convincingly than 3-2 with Sancho in there instead mm-hmm. of with a Koulibaly back there, you know? And um, for Sancho, they're talking Koulibaly money, you know? And if Tottenham's linked right now with Skriniar... For sixty million, if if it's gonna be Sancho or nothing, then I think that's entirely the wrong mentality for Woodward to have for this transfer window. Um, I think that door is shut. You gotta bring players in. I think the Teyes deal, they're gonna lock it up. This Nate Niles thing, I'd heard nothing of until I yeah, did a little research for mm-hmm. for this piece, but uh, it seems like that that deal, according to the report that I read, was 80% done, 
which I wouldn't be happy about because I think Nate Lindell's is great, but uh, he would be a great pickup for United in a spot where, where they need help, and he's a versatile player. So they they need to push through some of these deals. Um, also, I think if their idea of a Sancho replacement is Dembele, then they have entirely the wrong mentality on what's going on because Dembele's not going to go in there and help anybody win any football games. No, especially when the team doesn't have like a winning aura around it. You know, when Dembele joined yeah. Barca, they were at the top and he still had a bad attitude and, you know, couldn't find form. So I can't imagine what happens when you put him in a Man U team that needs him. So. Yeah, you know, man, they might be a better esports team than they are a real team. Than <laughs> completely, team, so. completely. That 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 could be a FIFA team for sure. <laughs> yeah, but bunch of bunch of teenagers up front and. and <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm curious to to know what you think about City so far. So now that we've we've really dove deep into United, so I think City have it's been an interesting kind of transfer window for them because I think they've been linked and they've really been negotiating some huge deals we've we've seen Koulibaly link there a lot we saw the whole Messi fiasco you know and I think that a lot of the time when you're being linked to players of that caliber um you can kind of get obsessed with them and go at them kind of like what we were talking about United that they're going for Sancho before anything else and I think City have been smart in seeing okay we can't get this done let's pivot and let's find our guys you know I think the the players that they've brought in are very clearly Pep's players they very clearly stick to a system um, both the center backs, I think they're great ball playing center backs. They're both uh, relatively young. They've got a lot of potential, especially Diaz. I think he he's going to make a really good defender. And if 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 it's players that he can trust, Pep can get the best out of them. So I think those two guys are probably a better signing for the future than one Koulibaly, even though that would help them a lot. And I think the the Ferran deal I think is an absolute steal. Like I think this kid looks incredible. He's always looked fantastic in all the Spain under twenty one um, teams he's played at. He's he always acts and plays as the best player, and I think he, he's really going to grow into something at City, especially, you know, if the coach has a lot of faith in him, which, you know, in the first couple of games we've seen, he's playing in minutes. It's, he, he clearly hasn't gone there as a prospect, but as a first-team player. So I think that's, that's very interesting, and I think they've done a good overall job of, you know, addressing their needs. You know, we needed center-backs, we got center-backs in. We needed someone to kind of replace Sané, we got someone that kind of replaces Sané in terms of a dynamic young winger. I, I think it's been, you know, very B-plus to A-minus kind of effort from them. Yeah, I agree, especially since they didn't lose a lot up front. Um, mm-hmm. It seems like they, they just added more, more talent other than the loss of David Silva. But uh, but I think um, they're, they're happy to to be entering a new era now um, now that, that Silva's, Silva's gotten on. But, uh, but yeah, no, I, I think it's with Pep, he, he has a clear vision of, of the players that he wants, the kind of team he's he's trying to build. And um, even though it might not always work out with the players' performances on the field in particular, um, I, I, I think these are these are signings that make sense. They're, they're logical, they're long-term, mm-hmm. they're sound investments. So I, I, I see this as just, yeah, again, good business. Nothing more, nothing exceptional. Yeah, there's no names are popping up popping off the, the screen at $65 million for Diaz, plus Otamendi, you could say, is a hefty fee, but that's that's what players are, are going for. In, in a world where Harry Maguire is worth 80, then you know what? <laughs> Diaz Diaz is probably worth 100. Yeah. No, straight up, there, there's no way you can consider him a worse buy than, than Maguire. I'm, you know, young center back promising and someone that Pep had his eye on for a bit. Great business. You know, City, I think that's where you kind of see how the two clubs are being run in the sense that one is a lot more 
focused on, you know, let's make a splash, let's, you know, get back on top, kind of like scrape back there and to show uh, what United were and what they want to be, where the City know where they are, they know what team they have, and they're just there to make sure that they get their players in and they get the help they need to continue being one of the most dominant teams in the world. Yeah, totally agreed. Well, now that we've touched on both of those teams, we wanted to go into another new segment that we've planned out for this episode called our early season picks. So we're going to be taking a look at, at some at some uh, s- different statistics for going forward for the beginning part of the season and starting to pick our, our make our selections for the end of the season. We'll be starting off with our league winners for the top five leagues in Europe. Um, I don't know if you if you want to get us started with with one in particular. Oh uh, sure. Here I mean, the the first one I I have jotted down here is La Liga, and um, you know with all the bias in the world I'm gonna say that I think Madrid are gonna win La Liga this season. Um, I think that you know they they do have the best team right now. Barca's in turmoil. Um, they they won it last season, and I don't think they've gotten worse by any means. And I think. You know, once Hazard gets going, even though he started off injured again, but once he gets going, Madrid are a fantastic team, and I think they they should be the lock to, to repeat. Yeah, I I totally agree with you there. Um, I, I don't think there's enough competition. I think the Atleti team's trending in the right mm-hmm. direction, but they're still missing a lot of components to, to be of the quality to win. So when a league like La Liga and yeah, Real Madrid just just look like they're they're gonna be able to grind out more results and and ultimately we we saw during the um the quarantine period of the end of last season that that when it comes down to to winning the league, it's about when you can grind out those results when they really count and I think this Madrid team can do it, but I do think that Atleti is gonna be their their closest competition. I think Barca Barca might have a strong start, but they're eventually going to hit hit a, a patch of form at some point in the middle of the season. It's really going to going to put them on the downturn. I'm I'm not sure if Komen's going to going to be there at the end of the season. Yeah, and I think it's hard when your best player is clearly stated. I don't want to be here, and I hate everyone around us. <laughs> so mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Don't think they're going to give him too many more reasons to stay. <laughs> Moving on to maybe one that's a little easier to predict, um, and League One where I would find it very difficult to see any side topping PSG this season. Yeah, I completely agree. I, d- I don't know what what more you can say about that. I think that yeah, PSG loses the league, that would be catastrophic. That'd be absolutely insane. Because, um, you know, I don't think there's anyone close to w- what they can do. And I think some teams can beat them on their day, but not across a whole league season. Yeah, they they have given given other teams a, a positive mm-hmm. start and maybe maybe a couple of courtesy points of advantage, but uh, but yeah, ultimately, it's too many games for for the best team to not end up coming out on top, and and PSG's just outright the best team, for sure. Oh, do you want to take your pick at the next one? Sure, oh, I'm gonna go with the other easy one uh, in the Bundesliga. Bayern, um, they look even better. If, if that was possible, they've gotten, you know, their signings are off to a fantastic start. Um, they're arguably the best team in Europe. You know, they, they have did to. lose this week. They did. And the Bundesliga, I think, has a lot more competition than, like, the French League has for PSG. I think there are much better teams there. But, you know, like like we said, you can take a couple points. And even last season, we saw Bayern, you know, get dropped a couple times. But ne- definitely not as consistently enough to, to lose the league. 
Yeah, no, totally agree. Really, really a no-brainer there. Um, Hoffenheim is also notoriously a Bayern bogey team, so mm-hmm. uh, so I, I'd even group this when this went under that, and I, I think ultimately it's going to be for for the best that they've ended their unbeaten streak, and now they don't need to focus about some dumb winning streak and they can just focus on being the better team and every time that they step out out onto the field in the bundesliga they are the favorites doesn't matter against two so i think easy easy win there and and it won't really even be close then going on to another one that that this season might be a little more hotly disputed than it has been in in years prior um but the city uh, i would have to say that it's still too much quality in that Juventus side to to bank against them and and I think Ronaldo will absolutely will them through it but I think the city has become a lot more competitively even and this Juventus side I think against stronger teams will struggle more than against uh, the weaker teams so I, I think really against the against the weaker teams they'll be able to overcome those fairly easily but I do think they will be dropping points against their they're closer rivals, and and it'll be a, it'll be a close race like it was last year, but but they'll they'll overcome it and make it through. Yeah, so this is I think the first one where we disagree because I actually picked Inter to win City. Ooh. Yeah, and it's just I really like this Inter team. They've been playing fantastic. They last season they were great. You know they were up there the whole time, mm-hmm. and they really gave Juve a challenge, which is something no one's done for a while. So I have faith that you know they they got better. They, you know, uh, are a team that is just meshing well, scoring goals. Lukaku's an absolute beast up there. And I think that Juventus hasn't been convincing me that much for a couple for a couple of years now. Not in terms of Ronaldo, but just some of their, their midfield decisions and stuff like that. And I think maybe this is the, the year that Inter, you know, take one and win the title. Yeah, Juve's backline is is definitely aging, and I like I like your pick. I I think Inter is my pick for for second place, but uh, and Conte is also a winner, yeah. for sure, and he definitely gets that out of his players. But uh, I don't think so. Uh, I I I don't think there there's enough quality. Season's too long, but uh, but I guess we'll wait and see. Yeah, right. That's the magic of it. <laughs> um, and then to round it off, what's your pick for the Prem? For the Prem, so for this one, I actually this was the hardest decision to make. Because I was really between what I would say are the two clearly best teams between City and Liverpool. And I think this year that City have convinced me that... Leicester they, City, right? Yeah, of course. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, Manchester City. I think they've they've clearly shown that they know what their weaknesses were. And they've addressed those with signing of these center backs. Um, it's a shame that Aguero and Jesus are injured to begin with, so that's kind of like a wrinkle to start off with. But I, I do think they have just as much, if not more, talent than the Liverpool team overall in their team. Maybe their their starting lineup, Liverpool, especially with the front three, have more more talent there. But I think overall they can just sustain a league better, and I think that Liverpool is going to have trouble meeting the same expectations of what they did last year. So I think City could, because of consistency and depth, win this one. Interesting. Well, yeah, I I would have to disagree. I I definitely was leaning in that direction to begin the season. Um, I I thought Liverpool's ridiculous run in the Premier League after their crazy run two years ago, where it wasn't mm-hmm. enough to beat the the Man City Centurions, and then their their ninety eight point campaign last season too. Um, 
where and they they're gonna get a bit burnt out but but i don't know I've, from from what i've seen even even just how they're playing and i know they're still missing uh, definitely aguero up front who's a 20 goals per season no problem in the prem any year you want but i i think uh i think there's still something lacking there i, I don't see the consistency in this liverpool team i i think when city wins games they dominate games mm-hmm. they take control of games and i've seen this liverpool team win games that have been scrappy i've seen them win games that they've controlled but gone down um i i this looks like a convincing side and i honestly don't want to put myself in a position at the end of the season where they have 98 points and i bet against them early so uh, that's fair it is I'm, a risk. I'm gonna go i'm gonna go with uh with liverpool uh, for the season, so I'll, I'll quickly go back through mine. So for the Premier League, Liverpool, the Serie A, Juventus, the Bundesliga, Bayern, La Liga, Real Madrid, and League One, PSG. Yep, and mine were City for the Premier League, Inter for Serie A, Bayern for the Bundesliga, Real Madrid for La Liga, and for League, uh, it was PSG. Alright, so we'll have to keep a close eye on the Prem and Serie A yeah. then to, to see who comes out on top. But uh, now to, to go into some of the games that are actually going to determine these winners, uh, let's take a look ahead at, at some of the games uh, coming up in, in Europe this week. So there are European games on today and yesterday, and there are some Europa League games on Thursday, but but none quite enough to, to make our marquee matchups. Um, but Tottenham um, is playing, Rangers and Galatasaray are playing as well, and, and a couple of other interesting sides for Europa League qualification, if that interests you. But if not, I'll send it over to you for, for the La Liga games. Yeah, so for La Liga, I actually highlighted uh, two big games. The first one is um, the Atleti Villarreal game on Saturday. I think these are two really good teams. I think in Atleti are uh, a really, really good team. They're probably a top two, top two team in La Liga this year. But I think this Villarreal team is really going to put them in a tough spot. They're a good team. They haven't really shown it that much this season, but I still have faith that they're going to um, you know, go on to be maybe a Europa League team by the end of the year. And I think Atleti really need to continue their hot form from their 6-1 absolute like, battering of Granada. So uh, that being said, I think that overall the score is going to be 3-1 in favor of Atleti. I think that this Villarreal team can score goals, and they will, but Atleti's the better team and are going to take it. So I actually put three one as well for oh, wow. this game. Um, yeah, I think I think Atleti's uh looking convincing, uh, moving the ball forward, and I think Villarreal after the terrible outing against Barcelona, where they could have definitely conceded more than four. Mm-hmm. Um, I I think they're not gonna recover from the slump. Uh, concede a couple more goals, and uh, then there's gonna be a couple question marks around Unai Emery at Villarreal. But uh, yeah, I see I see three one. For Atleti Villarreal on Saturday. Yep, and then the next game is on Sunday. We have all Barcelona against Sevilla, and I think this is a really tough game. It is at the Camp Nou, but I think it's a tough game. The Sevilla team proved last season that they really are one of the the better teams in Europe. You know, um, you know, with their Europa League win, and they're I think they're just as dangerous. They added a bit more solidity to their midfield with Rakitic coming back. And I think they're overall just a, a good team. And I think Barca is, even though they, they were really hot last week, I really think they're um, going to expect a, a slump soon. And I think this is going to be the game that causes it. So I think it's going to end up 1-1. 
interesting. Well, I was actually fairly convinced by the Barca performance at the weekend. Um, I do agree that the Sevilla side is good and that it's definitely the favorite for the fourth uh, Champions League mm-hmm. spot for sure in La Liga. But uh, I think a game at home, uh, I think Barca coming off a good result is, is going to want to keep that momentum going and and impress um, I think yeah, they're they're gonna come out come out hot and probably take an early lead. Um, but I'm gonna go Barca two one against Sevilla. Cool. So now for the Premier League. Well, there is only one great game in the Prem this weekend, so I also wanted to highlight a Carabao Cup fixture that is on Thursday night, which is a rematch of the weekend's Premier League action of Liverpool versus Arsenal at Anfield. I think it's going to be a lot of the same. Um, I think Arsenal's going to going to rest some more of their their key players uh, for this game, and I think uh, overall depth wise, Liverpool definitely has a stronger team. Uh, I think just another game at Anfield too is going to be a bit too much for this Arsenal side, and I don't really see them causing Liverpool too many problems. I'm going to go with two 0 for Liverpool. Okay, yeah, I had some of the same thought process. Liverpool are better. It's at Anfield. Arsenal are going to struggle here. Um, I do think that Arsenal just love cups, and our, I think our young players really uh, relish a chance to get a game in. So I think we are going to be able to score one goal, but it's going to end up being 2-1 to Liverpool anyway. And then for the top game of this Premier League match day on Sunday, Tottenham travel to Old Trafford to face Man United. I think these are two teams that have been struggling in all honesty i think united should have probably lost to brighton and and maybe conceded four or five just purely based off of the amount of chances off the post and then they were fairly fortunate to get the penalty with nine minutes of added time at the end there the game should have probably had been called already and and this tottenham team also it seems like if you give them if they give you any sort of opening, teams are really prone to being able to take it. I think this is going to be a, a slugfest. I think it's there's going to be a lot of poor football being played, but that there'll be a couple of uh, moments of brilliance on either side. Um, and I I see this game ultimately ending as a tie, a two-two tie. Okay, yeah, we're pretty similar here as well. Um, I I went with the tie as well, but it was one-one. Um, just because I think both of these teams are going to come off a bit cautiously. They're both teams that are going to want to get results from this fixture. You know, whenever you face another one of the top the top six, you, you definitely want to make sure you get points. I think uh, especially United are going to be conservative to start off and will kind of open up as the game goes on. And I see Mourinho kind of taking a very similar approach. So I think it's going to end up being a tie as well, but 1-1. One, one. Cool. And then, on to you yeah. for Serie A. Exactly. So for Serie A... I have two games that I think are interesting, and I think these are two big games. Uh, the first one is the Lazio Inter game on Sunday. I think this is a Lazio aren't really at the at the level that Inter are, but I think they're still a fantastic team, a great contenders um, for those uh, European spots, you know. And I think that they're going to trouble Inter in the sense that they're a good matchup. But I do think this Inter team is dominant. Like I said, I think they. They have a really good chance of winning City out, so I actually went with 2-0 for them. Interesting. Well, I'm going to flip that on you. I think mm-hmm. this Lazio side showed last season that that they're great, um, particularly at home, that they can really get results, particularly against 
an Inter team like this one. Um, I think Inter's gonna gonna come out tired after their their strong performance today against um, Benevento. I see Lazio winning this game, and I think it's gonna be one 0 Interesting. Um, so the next game that I'm gonna highlight here is also on Sunday, and it's another huge one. It's Juve Napoli. So the probably the two teams that for the last couple seasons have been fighting out at the top of Serie. They they're both fantastic in terms of attack and defense. Um, Juve are I think a bit on the stronger side. They're definitely have more more depth and they're more complete all around. But I think this Napoli team have proven in the last five years that they're incredibly dangerous. And you know Tuki's also starting to get firing and stuff like that. So if they can get some help from those players, I think they have a really good chance against this Juve team. But overall, I think it's going to be a tie, a two-two tie. Interesting. Well, I, I agree with all, all the points that you made. Definitely two good sides. Um, I think Juve is going to have just enough here um, to come out with a good result, um, particularly playing at home. But I do see Napoli causing them trouble, so I'm going to go with 2-1. And then moving on to the Bundesliga games for the week, I have two to highlight. First, on Saturday, we have Frankfurt versus Hoffenheim. So this is a game between first and third place in the Bundesliga right now. Two teams that, that both came are coming off of good results. Um, I ultimately had really enjoyed watching Hoffenheim play against Bayern. I thought Kramerich looked like an outstanding player, and I think he might be in line for a move if, if he continues his form so far this season. He's got 10 goals in his last four Bundesliga outings going back to, to last year, and I see him getting another one at the weekend. So I'm, I'm going to say that Hoffenheim is going to come out 3-1 winners. Okay, yeah, I, I agree with, with everything there. I think definitely two good sides, but I think Hoffenheim have just shown that they're, especially last season, that they're a great team that plays fantastic football, and I think that's going to be um, a bit too much for Frankfurt. And they like scoring goals. You know, they've, they've scored a lot of goals in the, the past couple of games. So I think it's going to be 2-0 to Hoffenheim. And then for the other game on Sunday, we have Bayern versus Hertha. Um, I think Bayern are going to bounce back. Um, Hertha also suffered a defeat at the weekend. That was um, pretty unconvincing, losing uh, 3-1. But I, I think the Bayern team is going to come back going to come back strong. I think they're going to be solid defensively. I think Flick is going to make some changes at the back to really shore them up. I thought Boateng seemed a little, seemed like he had a little too much liberty there at the back in that game, and I think that just came with a little overconfidence. But uh, I'm going to go with a convincing 3-0 win for Bayern. Yep, I, I chose the exact same score. I think that Bayern are just a, a much better team. This Hertha team doesn't really convince me to really uh, uh, get a goal against Bayern. Especially um, if Bayern are going to be dominating possession like they usually do, it's going to be a really tough game going to the Allianz. So three now, I think, is very fair. And then I think the only thing we have left is League 1, where I have one game to highlight, and that's on Sunday. We see Lyon um, welcoming Marseille to their to their stadium. I think this is a really interesting ga uh, game. I think it's really going to show who the the second or third best team in Liga is going to be two historically fantastic teams and uh, this is a big rivalry you know um it's a it's a big game and i think it's going to be scrappy but i think that Lyon being at home are just going to have the edge over Marseille so i think they are going to win 
I, for the same reason, I'm, I'm picking Leon as well. Um, yeah, definitely going to be a, an interesting thing for, for the top of the league. Uh, the Marseille side has let me down a little bit, I think, other than their performance against PSG and in the other games, they haven't looked quite as convincing as I'd like them to. And Leon does look look like a sharp team, even if if they have um, lost a couple of their players this window mm-hmm. as well, having just lost. But um, I think the addition of Paqueta too um i'm not sure if he'd be able to feature but that'll i think boost the morale for the side i'm, yeah, I'm going to know for leon i don't see marseille doing too much okay guys so that's going to be it for us today thank you all so much for watching and remember to give us a follow on our social media so on instagram we are the mercy Roll podcast and on twitter we are the mercy Roll pod you know um give us a follow there we'll be posting every time we we release a new episode whenever we have our polls and voting for our five asides and you know just generally if you have any comments or uh feedback that you want to give us we we'll definitely be looking at that so thank you so much for watching and we'll catch you next time